farmers are putting the 2022 crop in the ground in the coming weeks with much more than the next nine months in mind. How confident are they feeling about 2023 and beyond? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. High commodity prices have been the name of the game for months now, and though 2022 promises to be a profitable year for producers, the dramatic rise in the price of inputs is already complicating the picture and affecting farmer confidence, and thus decision-making, as they report prospective planting and as they look ahead beyond the season. Today, DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger joins us to unpack this complicated story, discussing everything from the pressures weighing on fertilizer prices and equipment availability to the uncertainty surrounding Ukraine and ongoing weather challenges in the Western U.S. We'll talk income predictions, 2023 farm bill discussions, lingering COVID effects and inflation right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger is focusing on the future at the moment as farmers preparing to plant think about how decisions in 2022 might affect them in the longer term. Katie, talk to us a little bit about what is just kind of top of mind as you try to peer a little bit further into the future? So right now, farmers are gearing up to plant and some of them are even getting started as this calendar turns to April. This is when farmers really have their eye on planting corn during this month. What farmers are doing right now is they're making sure they have everything they need to, when they get their weather opportunity, to get out and go. So they've got their fertilizer plan set. They're making sure they have their seed. They're making sure they have any other chemicals that they're going to need to apply. And as they're paying the bills for these things, they're comparing them to last year and saying, my goodness, what has happened? Because the prices have jumped significantly. They've had supply issues for all of these inputs. And they're looking at this year and they're looking at what they're going to be able to do. And they're like, what am I going to be paying for all of these things next year because of what it's looking like right now? There's Yes, there's a lot of market uncertainty at present, a lot of it related to the Ukraine and Russia and what the global supply and demand ramifications of that are going to be. And for American farmers here, they're just trying to figure out, okay, we've got to plant this crop, we've got to grow this season, but what next? And so all of this year's volatility um, isn't just going to be confined to this year, it's going to be a multi-year scenario. And it's something that 
you can, that farmers are already starting to weigh in their minds. I want to talk to right here at the top a little bit about the numbers that we saw come out this week from USDA, because I think that's also as farmers look ahead, try and do some prediction of the next two, three, five years. They're looking at how they can maybe adjust their plan right now to maybe prepare a little better for it. Talk to us about the numbers you saw at USDA and were you surprised by what you saw? What we saw come out of USDA was that the corn acreage was a lot lower than what people had expected. And soybean acres came in at a record high. And I think a lot of that really just has to do with where where farmers are on the fertilizer question. And as they as prices really skyrocketed for anhydrous and other forms of nitrogen last fall, farmers said, okay, what am I going to be able to plant? What do I need to buy? And a lot of them either could not lock in fertilizer or the prices had gotten so high that they had altered their plans. And USDA said in its prospective plantings report was that farmers are anticipated to grow about 89 and a half million acres of corn. Um, that's down from 93 and a half or 93.4 in 2021. And then soybeans are going to, to go up to a record. And so what we're going to see there is just a shift from corn to beans that's anticipated right now. And I think a lot of that can be And it's not just fertilizer, it's also the chemical shortages that we've had and a lot of farmers being concerned about their weed control options this year as far as what they have available. Glyphosate was in tight supply last year and so maybe farmers are looking for alternative ways to manage weeds and using soybeans instead of corn for some of that. So there are a lot of different factors at play behind that that acreage discrepancy and swinging a little bit further towards beans than maybe some um, analysts had predicted. I want to dig in on that fertilizer question because I think looking back a little bit, there was some question or some sense that maybe we're just, it was just supply chain driven mainly. We had a hurricane in 2021 that was disruptive and that maybe give it six months, give it nine months, that would work its way through the system and we'd get back to normal or we'd see those prices come down a bit. We haven't really seen any. So talk to us a little bit about as you talk to farmers and take a look at the market conditions, does it seem like this trend is going to continue up? And is there any kind of signals out there that there might be a ceiling somewhere that it might start to come down either in 2022 or potentially in 2023? It is really, it's a really complicated answer, Sarah. And a lot of it's just because the supply chain for fertilizer is so much different than where our commodities go and come from. And when we're looking at the global implications of what's happening in fertilizer, yes, it's been supply chain for the past year. Some of, but a lot of that has been driven by policy that was on some sanctions on phosphates. That was some Chinese policy in there as well. China lowered and almost stopped its fertilizer production in the run-up to the Olympics because it was trying to achieve some environmental and air quality goals. And that put a damper on some fertilizer production and exports from China. And that also rippled through the markets, creating some of these supply chain issues. Now that we have Russia and Ukraine at war, um, Russia is an exporter of fertilizer. So is Belarus, which is its ally. And both of those countries have been subject to sanctions on those products. 
Now, whether that affects the U.S. farmers as much as it does the globe is an interesting question because a lot of those exports from Russia and Belarus tend to go into Brazil, which imports a large amount of its fertilizer needs. And so Brazilian farmers may end up paying even more than American farmers for fertilizers next year. The advantage here in the U.S. is that we do have Canada produces a lot of very similar natural resources as Russia. They have a lot of the same types of resources and different fertilizers from Canada, which we are connected to by rail. We do get some that way, but Canada also exports. So there's questions there about those global fertilizer dynamics. What if Brazilian growers aren't able to get enough fertilizer for their crops next year? What can U.S. growers get that? And so the fertilizer and the global supply chain issues are much more complex. While we're on this supply chain question, you mentioned We've talked about fertilizer, you mentioned chemical, but we're, we've also seen equipment disruptions and really any input to the farm. I, I land on equipment a lot because I think since 2019, 2020, really 2020, when prices started to pick up again, has been the first time in a while that a lot of farmers felt they were in a good position to make some investments and some new purchases. But then a lot of folks are still waiting to see some equipment that they've ordered months and months, if not years ago, come through. Talk a little bit about any signs of being figured out. And then we've seen the run-up in prices in the used market reflect that difficulty in, in getting a hold of things. Yeah. What does all that mean? And how are farmers thinking about planning investments for the next couple of years? This is another complicating um, factor going on right now, because it's not just new equipment that's in shortage. It's like you said, used equipment markets are feeling the ramifications and so are parts. If you are looking for parts for repair, it can be slim picking some days. If you're not able to get the new equipment that you've ordered and you're running old equipment and trying to fix it, it can be even harder. We talked to some farmers all throughout last growing season who to get a spare tire to replace on their tractor, they had to drive all the way across their straight state just to find the right one. So it's, you know, what you have to do to find the parts and pieces to keep going is, is, is a big deal. For a lot of growers last year, purchasing equipment was part of a broader tax strategy to use some of their bonus depreciation to offset their income that they had largely from some of the government payments in 2020 and 2021, and some of the higher prices that came through last year that really helped farmers achieve some profitability. So farmers look to reinvest last year. Some of them are still waiting for delivery on the equipment that they have ordered. Some of them, the lines and order queues for John Deere and everyone remain long, but I don't see much pressure easing up in that for a while because of these supply chain directions disruptions that are out there. It's going to take a while for chip shortages and all those issues to work their way through. And as we're seeing with some ongoing right to repair cases, farmers are getting really frustrated with having to rely on certain dealerships or certain systems in order to make repairs. And I think this is the time of season, Sarah, where if you are a used equipment farmer and you're really handy and you like to work on things, if you can get the parts you need, it might be a very valuable skill to have. That brings us pretty close to, I feel like, the heart of this conversation, which is around, I think we've had a couple of our best price years in a while. We've seen a bunch of records hit on the market side and, and have been feeling, I think, optimistic maybe about where commodity prices are. But with input, the the dramatic rise in input costs, it seems like maybe the joy of those prices might be undercut a bit or maybe completely undercut. Talk to us a little bit about how farmers are thinking about the potential for profit 
profitability in 2022 and then looking ahead to 2023, 2024. Yeah, it's hard to look at the prices and the commodity exchanges right now and not be excited about it. But it's a, it's t- input costs at where they are also, I think, puts a maybe a little rain on that parade. It does, Sarah. And the University of Illinois Farm Back team just put out a blog this week on the topic, really looking at upside and downside price scenarios for corn and soybeans. And what they were, what they found, if all this global disruption leads to increased U.S. export demand that will draw down U.S. stocks, if U.S. exports go up by about 175 million bushels this year, and then another 300 million bushels in 2022-23. Uh, U of I says that puts a corn price for at about six dollars for twenty one twenty two, and then up to about six sixty for twenty two twenty three. Now, if those export numbers go up significantly, if the demand on U.S. supplies is even greater, another upside that the U of I's calculations see is six sixteen for twenty twenty one, and then six ninety one for twenty two twenty three. So normally, six dollar corn is something we'd be really excited to see based on a $4 break-even estimate for an average U.S. grower. But we're not just the fertilizer, fuel, chemicals, as we've discussed, the land expenses themselves are going up. If farmers are cash renting, there is a lot of competition going on for that right now. We've heard some rumors out of Illinois of $800 per acre cash rent, $500 per acre cash rent. Um, just eye-popping figures that people are willing to pay at some of these last-minute either auctions or deals falling through and going through. So the, the cash rents are really starting to go up. And cash rents and land expenses tend to be a lagging factor in farm profitability. So just the they usually come go up a year or two after prices start to improve. So we're starting to see some climb in that element of pressure on farmers' profitability outlook. And so when you add all these things together, the pressure, yes, commodity prices are going up, but the pressures are going up just as exponentially as the prices appear to be. And in some cases, those are the ones that farmers have less control over. Farmers can always sell, are, are very adept at selling into the market and trying to sell in price during a rally. The harder thing for them to control is the inputs. In a lot of ways, they're price takers. They don't have a lot of negotiating power on some of these things. And they're really at the whims of the market. And so there's a lot of concern and a lot of people starting to already start to strategize, okay, we're growing this year's crop. What am I going to do for next year? So farmers are really taking a a long-term view on some of these things and trying to start working their way around these potential problems now. I'm curious on that front. It seems like one of the big strategies people are thinking about is just a little crop switching, maybe focusing more on soybeans, less on corn. But I'm curious if you've heard of other, how are farmers thinking about these challenges? How are they preparing for the years to come? And is there anything that seems to be of particular focus in terms of maybe if I figure this out, like this will be my like differentiator? I think that is something that it varies on every farm and what their resources and what their availability and their what, what's right for their business and their business strategy. I think for all farms, this is a spot where efficiency matters. Farms that have the ability to store some of their fertilizer on site or their fuel on site give them more potential to hedge by buying at a certain time and taking delivery perhaps in an off-peak season or time that allows them to get a better price. And those are the types of things 
things that farmers are looking to find right now that if they don't already have, they might. That's one way that farmers that I've visited with are trying to differentiate in here. And then there are a lot of other strategies farmers are using. A lot are reaching out the direct-to-consumer in whatever ways they can. They're reaching out. They're doing more social media awareness and building different things to try and maybe capture some of the farm-to-table business that's going on. There's the distillery link to grains is another thing farmers are reaching out to do. Anything to build a niche is something that a lot of growers are finding, a lot of growers, farmers, and ranchers are finding success with just to build a little bit of a resilience or an alternative income stream um, for their operations. Those are always exciting stories to hear. But as we think about markets, I think also there's, you've talked a bit about Ukraine and the conflict there and then about China and how things are moving and shaking inside uh, that in terms of input production, mostly. Talk to us a little bit about as farmers look ahead to the next couple of years, how are they thinking about China as a market, Latin America as a potential major competitor with these, peripheral seems like the wrong word, but all other grain producing regions maybe being a, a little bit less certain than we maybe would have expected even nine months ago? Well, and this is the perennial question, Sarah, which is what's China going to do? There's no certainty on that front right now either because it's China. We had just finished up the couple years of the phase one trade deal that is no longer on the table. They have no um, commitments they're trying to meet as far as that, which really helped fuel some of the higher prices in 2020, bleeding into 2021. So we're really looking to see what their demand is for corn and feed grains. We're also keeping an eye on how crops grow down in South America this time of year with their with, with everything going on there. So there's a lot of uncertainty as to how Ukraine and Russia will shift um, the, the crop mix around the world. I am seeing some discussion that maybe next year we'll see a shift in some of the corn belt to growing wheat with a double crop of soybeans, that some of the profitability numbers might be there, that that might actually make more money than, say, growing corn in southern Illinois or parts of Indiana or Ohio. Maybe we'll see an uptick in sort of soft red wheat acreage next year. That's something we'll see as farmers maybe start planting in the fall. But a lot of that does depend on how this plays out what the global wheat picture looks like, because the dynamic in that market has really changed. In the U.S., we've become pretty corn and soybean dominant as wheat acres have just trailed as the globe as a whole has started growing more wheat. We've really specialized in soybean, soy, soybeans and corn. And so maybe this is an opportunity for U.S. growers to expand some acreage into that crop. We also saw on USDA's plant report yesterday, a small up uptick in sunflower acres, especially for oil production. Sunflower oil is something that Ukraine exports a lot of. So there are some farmers going that route, maybe growing some more sunflowers. That's this year. We'll have to see long-term if any of those types of changes take place. But this is something that's going to shake up the order of what it's been in recent years with maybe in over the past decade, it's been China's the big market. Who's China buying from? And now it's with one of the larger suppliers out of the question, it's going to put the pressure on, on the few countries that are growing and exporting large amounts to really pick up the pace and balance out the global supply and demand picture. Speaking of U.S. wheat, I think one of the big wild cards at the moment is just the weather, U.S. weather. We had a big drought last year. It seems to be continuing largely not a, a tremendous amount of optimism about it changing significantly, at least in the early part of 2022. 
Talk to me about what you're hearing from farmers in terms of adapting to or either preparing for or adapting to these kind of dramatic weather shifts. It's something that I think farmers are most definitely making adjustments to. We're seeing it in all different kinds of regions. And perhaps the reason we don't have a dust bowl right now in some of those parts of the Southwest that are really dry is because of some of these practices farmers are doing, the reduced and minimal tillage, the different fertilizing plans that are focused on keeping all of the soil where it's at, keeping the erosion at bay. A lot of those changes are becoming big for farmers. We're starting to see some of these different conservation programs becoming embedded into the way farmers do business. This year, USDA has a pilot program in 10 states for crop insurance to to help cover split applications of nitrogen, ensuring against if the farmer's unable to get that second application on in a timely manner, providing an insurance payment to compensate for that loss of yield. So we're starting to see different programs trying to encourage farmers to adopt these more climate-friendly or climate-smart practices. We're seeing a lot of that with cover crops, helping farmers absorb more of these large rains when they come, because you mentioned less rain, more cataclysmic-type drought scenarios. But on the other hand, there are more frequent, much heavier rains as well. And in some areas of the country, it's how that water runs off is really, and how much is held onto the ground is what really matters. So we're starting to see a lot of farmers focus on those elements because I think they can see that that thing is coming. Like right now, there are a lot of incentives. Like I said, there's insurance programs coming up. There are carbon credit programs farmers can diversify into is trying to get some income stream out of. But down the road, I think most economists and most experts would say that a lot of these trends will become formalized in policy. And if you aren't an early adopter going for the carrot, you may end up with the stick. And speaking of climate smart agriculture and some of these other kind of keywords, I think the other thing that maybe is not yet on folks' minds is there's a lot of kind of short-term uncertainty to worry about, but 2023 is a big farm bill year. Conversations are already underway on Capitol Hill. Uh, Obviously, with so much uncertainty, a lot of focus on what could be in that farm bill, how things might change, how that might affect long-term decision-making. Have you heard conversations about what that might be and, and any expectations in terms of how these conversations might shape up? That's a great question, Sarah, and I have not been paying as close of attention to it. It's something that our ag policy editor, Chris Clayton, um, and our political correspondent, Jerry Hagstrom, usually inform me about. But what I can say is I would expect from the Title I, from the farm program aspect, there will probably be, I think I don't expect any major changes in there. There might be some more options and things that are allowed from a crop insurance perspective. I mentioned the the PACE split nitrogen pilot program. I know there are a lot of, the last farm bill did a lot for shallow loss crop insurance programs, getting the supplemental coverage option as an availability and giving RMA some flexibility in creating new programs like that. So I'd expect some enhanced focus on crop insurance and the perennial conversation about whether to tie those payments to conservation programs or not will be probably be a large part of conversation around the farm bill as it usually based on the priorities of the the house that's or, or the party that's drafting democrats or republicans with democrats it usually is the conservation focus is usually one that they take very seriously and so that's something I would expect to see from a farm business side is seeing more of a combination between insurance and conservation in the next farm bill. I think there will be a number of looking at the um, 
ARC and PLC programs, whether those are working for farmers, any adjustments that need to be made there. But I think then the big questions will be on some of the urban agriculture aspects of the bill and some of the other sides um, to the farm bill and the nutrition title and whatnot. I'm curious, for the last two years, it feels like everything has directly or indirectly been defined by a global pandemic and the market's reaction to that, consumers' reaction to that, kind of all of those things. Now we're dealing with, I feel like we're not talking as much about the pandemic. Um, Inflation is a much bigger story. Farms, farmers are, of course, affected by inflation in the commodity markets, but they're also affected by inflation as consumers themselves and buying fuel and buying everything from food to inputs to everything that an individual or a business needs. So I'm curious, one, how you what you're hearing or learning in terms of COVID's declining impact or continued impact or whatever that looks like. And then, yeah, what does inflation look like for farmers outside of the inputs question? So I think COVID will always remain that in the background. If a new variant were to come up, it could cause more supply chain disruptions as different countries around the world grapple with the the labor issues associated um, with a new variant of COVID. So that we're not totally out of the clear as far as COVID goes. It's still something that could pop up now and again and create problems. And so that's just another element of uncertainty that's really going on here. And then I think the other aspect of what you asked, talking about inflation, we also have to look at what it means for our currency and globally. In commodities denominated in dollars, a strong U.S. dollar makes us less competitive on the global export market. Does that really make a difference if we are the only country that has supplies available to export? That's a good question and something we'll have to watch as to what kind of macroeconomic influence this inflation has on the global economy. I think how different economies bounce back from this conflict in Ukraine and Russia will have a large um, role to play in um, the global macroeconomic picture. And that, as we know, influences all kinds of things all the way down to, you know, corn soybean supplies, but as well as things like hunger and financial stability all across the globe. So I think we're in a period of more increased risks of different types of shocks that are all related or an outgrowth of not just the pandemic, but the war in Ukraine and Russia. Just one last question. A theme of the podcast, I think, over the last several months has been because of the pace of news and the way that we get information Things happen so quickly that we expect that timelines are relatively quick as well. And that if something is a problem today or tomorrow, then by three weeks from now, we certainly won't be talking about it. So it must not be as much of a problem anymore. I think the one of the big themes of the last two years has been things take much longer to have the, their full effect and then to be worked out of systems. So I'm curious, given all of that, As you think about farmer confidence going into 2023, and not in just the span of the next nine months, but given the last two years and like the future two years and or three or five or however many you think will be meaningfully affecting the way that people are, are the confidence that people have, what are, where do you think that 
we might be. This is something DTN's actively surveying right now, Sarah. Right now, we're calling farmers across the country to compile the, the DTN Ag Confidence Index and the DTN Agribusiness Index, which, which attempt to gauge the sentiment among farmers and agribusiness in the country about how they feel, just that question, how they feel about current economics and then where they think things will be comparatively a year from now, whether they think it'll be better or worse. And I, my suspicion is what we'll find is that farmers are feeling better than average. They're not feeling neutral. They're feeling good. They're likely to make money, although those profit margins could be very tight and they vary highly by business based on what each individual's farm's cost structure is. But for the most, the analysts and the economics that I look suggest that farmers, um, at least on paper, will be profitable. And so there's some got to be some good feeling and some confidence in that situation right now that the bills are paid and there's going to be some money going into the bank. They look at the, the CME, they look at the prices and they're saying, okay, we've got these historically strong prices. That makes them feel good. But then they look and say, our input bills are really high. And that causes some concern. So I would suspect that farmers are feeling that next year will be much harder just because they know that markets go up, markets come down, inputs are far more sticky and their their expenses are slower to go up and slower to fall down. So they know that those numbers can flip on them very quickly. So I think there's a little bit of amperhead apprehension about upcoming growing seasons from here. High prices cure high prices and farmers know that flip comes. So a lot of them are just trying to maximize on what they can do right now and um, be prepared for whenever the dynamics change. To read more about farm confidence, what farmers are thinking about 2023 and beyond, and to check out all of Katie Dellinger's reporting, visit DTNPF.com or subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Katie Dellinger. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.